My name is Ethan, if you don't know me, hello. Um, I'm going to go ahead and invite our Bible pastors up, because I'm going to forget if I don't do it right away. So, uh, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. Uh, if you want one to keep, or you want one just for the night, you should take one, because, you know, they're free. So, Bible pastors will get you one if you need one. A little bit about me. I'm on staff here with Chi Alpha. I've been, uh, this is my second year on as full-time staff. Um, I graduated from here, Central Washington University. If you didn't know, that's where you are. Um, I was a recreation <laughs> management degree, which means I had fun for four years. I am also married. I've been married for two years now to her. She's also in the back. She is the best. Her name is Marissa. If you have a chance to get to know her, your life will change for the better. So, oh, there you go. I did it. I got an awe. Uh, we also have one beautiful cat named Domino, <laughs> and she is just the funniest thing in the entire world. So if you meet her, your life will also be better, but she's in Yakima, so I doubt you'll meet her. Uh, so as I start today, I want to start a little bit differently than we normally have, um, and I want to start with a word of encouragement. So once you get your Bibles out, I want you to turn to John, and John is the fourth book in the New Testament. It is right after Luke. And right before Acts, yeah, I got that right. Uh, so yeah, so turn there, and we're going to be in chapter 16. I'm going to read verse 33. Let's go ahead and read with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Isn't that just so incredible? Like, I don't know, like, aren't you so encouraged? You don't really seem that encouraged. Did I do something wrong? Oh, I didn't read the end of the verse. And if I leave out the end of the verse, it's kind of depressing. Um, so I'm going to read the whole thing this time. Let's try again. I'm sorry. I swear I never do this. <laughs> I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's a little bit better, right? That's more encouraging. I mean, is it? Why, why is that so much more encouraging than just the first part I said? I mean, how many of you are planners? Raise your hand if you're a planner. Doesn't it make you feel better to know that things are going to go wrong? <laughs> no, of course it doesn't. But, but things go wrong. We all know that. You didn't need a Bible verse to tell you that, right? Raise your hand if nothing's ever gone wrong in your life. Yeah, that's right. No one, no one can say that. I mean, if we needed proof, we could just say something like, just off the top of my head, 2020, I don't know. <laughs> like, we've come off a very tumultuous year. A lot of you probably dealt with a lot of hardship. Maybe you or a loved one lost a job. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe things that you were really, really looking forward to got canceled. Maybe you dealt with significant depression and anxiety. I mean, we deal with trouble in life. That's just a part of it. But take heart. There's a reason that Jesus, who is the one that's speaking in that verse, if you didn't know, didn't stop his sentence when I did originally. Because this is a message of hope. Yes, we're going to have trouble. Things are going to go wrong. But I have overcome the world, he said. And what does it mean to overcome something? It means victory, right? It means you defeated whatever it was that you were up against, or you overcame the odds. 
So let's take a look at this verse again. And we're going to look at it through a new lens. Because um, in my eyes, this is a, am I on? Okay, I just got really quiet for me. Um, but in my eyes, this is a three-part verse. So let's look at all three parts here. The first part, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Number two, in this world you will have trouble. And number three, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So if you'll notice, there are three characters at play in this verse. There is Jesus, there is the world, and there's you, or us, the listener. And they, the two characters that I think are the most important are Jesus and the world, and they are in opposition to each other. And they are each offering something. Jesus offers peace. The world offers trouble. Which would you prefer? I myself would prefer peace. Trouble doesn't sound that fun. It's very easy to see that peace is the better option. And I wish, with all my heart, believe me, I wish I could tell you that tonight we're going to talk about how when you follow Jesus, everything goes great. And life is amazing. You never deal with any problems ever again. You go to the Super Bowl every year. But we know that that's not how it works, right? We know that we will have trouble because that second part of that verse, you will have trouble, is a guarantee. So what does that mean to that peace that Jesus offers? Is it just gone? Do we not get it? Or do we have to, like, wait until after we die to get it? I mean, maybe. But Jesus said he defeated the world, so how do we get the peace? Well, do things always have to be peaceful for there to be peace? Have you ever heard of the eye of a hurricane? So the eye of a hurricane is the very center spot of a hurricane. Right there, that's a hurricane. We don't get those here. (laughs) Um, This is where the entire storm surrounds, and it spins around it like a weather Beyblade, if you know what a Beyblade is. (laughs) That's good. I was worried about that. But interesting enough, the eye of the hurricane is where the pressure and the winds are the least. It is the calmest part of the hurricane. That is a devastating storm. We see it all the time about how hurricanes come in and they destroy places, and the very middle of that storm is the calmest spot. Because I do believe that the peace that Jesus offers is for the future, yes. But I also believe that we can have that peace now the hope of knowing that Jesus defeated the world and that trouble is not forever. So yes, the world will bring trouble, but Jesus promises victory. I've kind of gotten a little ahead of myself. I haven't even really told you the topic of the message today. So we're going to back it up a little bit. Um, And we're going to be continuing through our Anchored series. And tonight we're going to be talking about being anchored in Jesus. And there's two questions I want to answer today. How and why? We're going to do it in reverse order. Why first? Because you should always ask why before you ask how. (laughs) One person likes that. (laughs) Um, And the first step to answering both of these questions is to get to know Jesus. And not know of him or about him. I mean like know him. But you can't just, like, text him and be like, hey, let's go, like, eat a meal and tell me all about yourself. Let's get to know each other, right? <laughs> but what have we been learning the last few weeks? 
side plug right here. If you didn't know, we post all of our messages as a podcast. And if you missed the first two, you could totally go back and listen to those. I know it's on Apple Podcasts. It's XA Central Podcast. I tried to search for it on Spotify, and I couldn't find it. <laughs> but I'm sure it'll be there soon. <laughs> but anyway, so the last few weeks, we've talked about community and truth, which is also known as the Bible. And Brandon, two weeks ago, taught us that we were made for living in community, which looks like spending time together, getting to know each other, and sharing life. Like, think about your closest friend. Do you know all the important things that's ever happened to them? Of course you do, because either you were there for them, or they've told you about them probably multiple times. That's how you get to know people. And then last week, Meredith taught us that the Bible is our source of truth. She actually said that to be anchored in truth is to know the source of truth, which is Jesus. If that just doesn't lead us in today, I don't know. She also mentioned that 2 Timothy uh, 3.16, which mentions that all scripture, which is the Bible, is God-breathed, meaning it was fully inspired by God. So I think if you put these two messages together, you see that to know Jesus, we should learn his stories, which are in the Bible, which makes the Bible his biography. So we should read his biography. So let's dive in, right? Let's do it. Let's go read. Um, so as we went before, Jesus has overcome the world, right? We know that, but how? Well, let's go to the beginning of this story. So we're going to be in John for the majority of today, so just, just keep John in your Bible. Um, and we're going to turn to the very beginning of John, chapter 1. And we're going to read verse 1, because, you know, that's the beginning. All right. John 1, 1 says, pause for more riffling through the pages. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So I'm going to spare a long-winded talk about poetry and, like, how they use words. I'm just going to tell you that Word is Jesus. <laughs> just is going to take us way off topic if we don't just get that out of the way. Word is Jesus. So if, when you read that, think Word, Jesus. Okay, got it. So what do we learn about Jesus here? This is like the big intro, right? This is where you get to know the character. But the first thing we learn is that Jesus was in the beginning. Now, what does that mean? I mean, of course he's in the beginning. This is the beginning of the story, right? Well, there's actually only two other times the words in the beginning are in the Bible, in that order, in one sentence, right in a row, in the beginning. Those two places are Genesis 1-1, which is the very beginning of the Bible, that says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then there's Psalm 102, verse 25, which says, in the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. So what do you notice about these two verses? They're both talking about the creation of everything, like the creation of existence itself, in the beginning of it all. So we can reasonably assume this means that Jesus has been around that whole time, longer than anything in creation, which really starts to make sense when we factor in the next part of John 1.1, which says that not only was Jesus with God, right, because God was in the beginning, but also Jesus is God. And that is a bombshell. Like right in the beginning of the story, too. Like that feels like a climactic reveal at the end of the story. You find out you have powers all along. I mean, we had to wait until the second Star Wars movie to find out Darth Vader was Luke's father. 
didn't even learn until the end of it. Oh, that movie came out in the 80s, I think. It's been a long time. You should know. <laughs> but there's a reason that John doesn't wait to reveal it. Because the fact that Jesus is God is like the most important fact. It's the most important thing we know about Jesus, that Jesus is God. And that's the first reason why we should anchor ourselves in Jesus. Because Jesus is God. Now, don't just take my word for it, or John's, because this is John talking here. Jesus actually said it himself. Um, in John 8:58, I don't know if I typed that or not. I forgot. Oh, the age. Dope. Um, <laughs> this is uh, Jesus is talking here. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And that I am there, him saying I am, that is not an ordinary statement. That is a direct identity statement. Because the people that Jesus is talking to in this verse, they're uh, the religious elite, the Pharisees. They're the people that know everything about the Old Testament. And they know that Jesus is directly referencing Exodus 13, 14, when God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. That's Exodus 13, 14, where God says, I am. That I am statement is something that only God has said. And now Jesus said it. Which means that Jesus is God. And that means something, doesn't it? I mean, if Jesus is God, then we should listen to what he says, right? If Jesus says, I've overcome the world, then he's overcome the world. I mean, does it matter more what is said or who says it? A little bit of both, but... If I am to tell you that you should love your neighbor, you're like, all right, cool. But if God says it, then you should probably do that. I mean, you're more likely to listen to God than to me, because he's God. The other reason why this matters, Jesus being God, is because of what Jesus did. So let's continue through the story of Jesus. And we're going to turn to John 12 now. It's about 11, verse, uh, 11 chapters after John 1. And we're going to read verses 12 through 13. All right. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who has come in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. This has got to be the beginning of that victory, right? I mean, can you imagine a more glorious entrance into the main city of Israel? Like, you're coming in and people are praising you. This is where things get good, right? I mean, this is a celebration for the Jewish people. They've been waiting for this for so long. Their king was home, their savior, the promised one. This was an expected thing. Uh, in Micah 5, verses 2 and 4, uh, it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler, ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. You notice that there's that old ancient times in there from the beginning. Uh, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, 
in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. This, Jesus riding in triumphantly, this is that. This is what Israel thinks. They think our king has come, we are free. And this reign had to have been good, right? I mean, Jesus is God, what better king can you ask for? I mean, if you know this story, you know it's not exactly how it went. But this is what the followers of Jesus were expecting. They were expecting him to take the rule, and what happened next was kind of devastating. So let's keep turning. Stay in John, we're in chapter 19 now. And we're going to be uh, starting in verse 16, but some context for where we are now. So what we just read, John 12, Jesus riding in as king, took place on a Sunday. The first day of a festival, as was mentioned in John 12. But now in chapter 19 is Friday of the same week. There's five days. From 12 to 19, it's been five days. So let's, let's start in verse 16 and see what happens. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. The soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. I want to pause here. So Jesus is carrying his cross, which is the device that they're going to use to kill him. Jesus is carrying his own murder weapon, and he's walking through the streets Five days ago, people were proclaiming him king. Five days. That's wild. That's such a short amount of time. It's a school week. Okay, let's continue. We're going to skip ahead a little bit to verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked it in a sponge, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In the eyes of Jesus' followers, this was not supposed to happen. This is not the moment they were waiting for. I mean, what story ends with the hero losing? Unless it's Infinity War and you get a part two, like, you don't want that. That's not what you want here. You don't want the hero to lose. But when I first started talking, when I brought up John 16, Jesus said, I've overcome the world. Jesus promised victory, right? So how can this be? How can he have lost? I guess that's probably why this isn't the end of the book here, and there's more chapters, so let's keep reading. So move ahead one chapter to John 20. Uh, we're going to start in verse 11, but again, to get us to there, Jesus was placed in a tomb after he died, which was then sealed by a large stone. And the Sunday after Jesus' death, which, again, just to remind you of the course of events, this is seven days after he rode in as king. That Jesus is in a tomb. Or is he? 
Well, Mary Madeline, who is one of Jesus' followers, goes to visit the tomb, and she finds it empty. All right, verse 11. Here we go. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, I think, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the victory, isn't it? I mean, Jesus is not dead. He was dead, and now he's not. That's kind of crazy. And this moment is super, super, super important. This is why we need to understand who Jesus is. This is why we need to know that he is God, because only God could die. And then raise himself again. None of us can do that. This was the firm, 100%, no doubt about it, confirmation. Jesus is God. That's it. It's over. There's nothing left to prove. He did what no one can do. I mean, he did a lot of other things that no one can do, but this is it. And this was proof to Jesus' followers that he was the one worth following. Which leads us to our second and final reason why we should be anchored in Jesus. It's because of this moment. It's because of his death and resurrection. Because his death and resurrection freed us from sin. In Isaiah 53, 5, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Again, that's Isaiah 53, 5. That was said before Jesus lived, you know, on earth. You see, none of us are perfect, right? We've all succumbed to the way of the world, which is sin. We've disobeyed God. We've disobeyed the creator of everything. And our crime was laid out before him and then pierced into his body when he died for us. This is Jesus' victory. Not over the enemies of this world, the kings that rule over Israel, but over the world itself. As he said in John 16, 33, he died so that we could live, so that we could have peace. And for this, for this reason, we are anchored in Jesus. Because he died for me, because he died for you and for anyone else who chooses to believe in him. So now we're going to move into that final question we had. How? We talked all about why. I think we understand why. It's powerful. Let's figure out how. 
And worship team, I'm going to have you come up now. Um, the first way, the first way we can be anchored in Jesus is to accept and believe that Jesus died and rose again for you. Jesus has done the heavy lifting. I mean, all the hard work is over. All that's left for us to do is to choose to believe and follow him. I don't know where you are tonight. I don't know where you've been. I don't know if you've ever made that choice to follow Jesus, or maybe if you've been far off. But if either of those are where you're at, then I want you to talk to somebody you trust tonight, maybe a facilitator, and tell them that you want to follow Jesus. And they're going to help you through those steps. Second way is to let Jesus into your life. Now, this is a big thing, because Jesus doesn't just want you on Sundays or Tuesdays or core nights, Christmas or Easter. Jesus wants all of you all the time. Let him into your life. Let him be a part. Read your Bible every day. Pray every day. Seek his wisdom. I mean, you're going to be amazed at what you hear. The third way is to tell others about Jesus. And this gift of peace and freedom that Jesus gave for us, this is not for us to keep. This is for us to give. His final commandment in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So as we close tonight, we need to reflect on Jesus, on his life, his death, and his resurrection. And I have some questions for you. And I encourage you to take some time, not only tonight, but tomorrow, and the rest of the week, and however long, to really think through these questions and, like, think through them with Jesus. The first one, what is Jesus speaking to me tonight about him? What is something that he taught you about himself? Second one, what steps can I take this week to anchor myself to Jesus? I mean, this is, you get practical here. What can you do? And then finally, who do I know that I can tell a story of Jesus to? Because we shouldn't keep it to ourselves.